nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. You ever done one of these interviews uh, over the camera before? No. Well, let me tell you a little bit about the job to get started with. It's not just um, a job. It's sort of probably the most important job. Uh, the title that we have going right now is Director of Operations, but it's really kind of so much more than that. Responsibilities and requirements are, are really quite extensive. Uh, first category for the requirements would be mobility. This job requires that you must be able to work standing up most or really all of the time, uh, constantly on your feet, constantly bending over, constantly exerting yourself, a high level of stamina. Uh, oh. Okay. That's a lot. For how many, like, for how many hours? So 135 hours to unlimited hours a week. It's basically 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I'm sure you'll have a chance from time to time to maybe just sit down here and there, yeah? Uh, you mean like a break? Yeah. Uh, no, there are no breaks available. Is, is that even legal? Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. Okay, so like, no lunch? You can have lunch, but only when the associate is done eating their lunch. Now this position requires excellent negotiation and interpersonal skill. We're really looking for someone that might have a degree in uh, medicine, in finance, and the culinary arts. You must be able to associate needs constant attention. Sometimes they have to stay up with an associate throughout the night. Being able to work in a chaotic environment, if you, if you had a life, we'd ask you to sort of give that life up. No vacations. Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, and holidays, the workload is going to go up in the with, with a happy disposition. That's almost cruel. <laughs> it's almost a, a very, very sick, twisted joke. But when there's time to sleep or... Oh, no time to sleep. <laughs> yeah, all encompassing, almost. That's exactly right. 365 days a year? Yes. No, that's, that's inhumane. That's, that's very insane. The meaningful connections that you make and the, the feeling that you get from really helping your associate are immeasurable. <laughs> Isn't that good, huh? That's actually part of it. A number of you have seen that video before. Some of us, yeah. It's new, but uh, it, it goes on, and you may want to pick it up and enjoy the rest of it. I think it's titled something like The World's Most Difficult Job. And uh, you, you hear that, and you say, wow, that is real, actually, isn't it? And what, what a challenge it is. But we want to give hope to moms this morning, uh, particularly in light of the challenge that uh, is true for them. And we want to give hope to all of you. We're in this series, and we're talking about developing our, our capacity to be people to live with hope, and we want to do that. We want uh, moms to have hope for what's a part of their future, and uh, for kids uh, to realize that it's possible for us to live with hope, and mom, for your kids to live that way too. So we're going to spend some time in God's Word this morning talking about what it means for us to project into a future where a future is actually characterized by a sense of hopefulness, a hope-infused future. That's a part of it. There is, for a person to be able to say, um, there's a purpose to my life, and I can see it, and it's possible for me to accomplish the purpose that God has given to my life. That my life matters. It's difficult sometimes, particularly for moms, to feel like that. But it's also true across the board in other circumstances that various people find themselves in. That my life does matter, and the circumstances in my life don't need to influence uh, my inability to have hope. 
There are people, actually, that live with hope in circumstances that one would look at from the outside and say, those circumstances are hopeless. And yet we find people living in those places with the capacity to have a sense of hope and expectation for their life and for their impact. And we want to be like that. I look at my life and I say this, I, I want to be a hopeful person. I want to be a more hopeful person tomorrow, next week, next year, than I am here this morning. And we want that for all of you. Our theme is to refocus on the future and what that looks like. Would you pray with me as we spend some time in God's Word? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who is a God of hope. And that uh, there are possibilities for us in spite of the circumstances we find ourselves in. Lord, I pray that you would help us be able to see that this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for going to spend some time this morning is in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. And I'm going to read those for us, and you will see this theme of hope that just pervades these verses of God's Word. And then I want us to talk about what it means for us to take some practical steps in walking into the truth that we see in Romans chapter 5. So beginning in verse 1, we read these words. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that sufferings produce perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. I want to isolate some truths we find here that can help us to live with a hope-infused future, and then give you an opportunity to reflect on what it means for you uh, to move into that. But the first thing I want us to notice here is that what God provides for us, what Christ provides for us, is a constant hope. We see this invitation that we have as people whom God has created to step into a relationship with God. And this privileged position that we can live in of being accepted by Him and forgiven by Him. In verse 1 we read about, about of God's willingness to confer upon us the status of righteousness. Not because we are righteous, but because He has forgiven us. And that we can live in this place of forgiveness for our sins, for rebellion, and walk into a relationship with Him. The biblical word that we hear about oftentimes is the word for repentance, which is this picture of someone walking in one direction, I'm going to live life my own way, and to repent, which means to literally turn around and to embrace the God who chases His children. Embrace the God who pursues them relentlessly, the God who wants us to come back into relationship with Him, because that's what we were made for in the first place. And we see here that God confers on us the status of righteousness, but it's more than that. There's a relationship here, and there's a possibility of living in a state of peace with Him. And in verse 2 it continues on, and we're invited to have an access to God that is access, of, access to a faith in which we stand. It's like we're invited into the household of God. We are invited into His world. We are invited into His life. It is not this periodic in and out that happens where we jump in and spend time with God and then go back to our own life. We hear here a description of a hope that is constant because His presence is constant. 
We belong there with Him, and it is the place in which we stand. I stand in a world filled with peace and hope because God is present in it. And it is constant. My circumstances may go up and down. My own sense of hopelessness or hopefulness might go up and down. The reality is this. If I have given my life to Christ, I stand in a place of hope and there's nothing that can change that. It is true. It is real. It is what God does with His children. What is hope like for the Christian? It is constant it is continual. This is why faith is so important to establish in a person's life. Faith is not simply a series of habits we embark on. I'm going to go to church often or routine activities. I'm going to, I'm going to engage in certain spiritual disciplines. That's not the life God has for us. That you simply go to church once in a while or often enough. The life God has for, you, for us is the life God has for us. He wants you to live in a place where you experience His life in the world you live. So, people think it's really important to be religious. God doesn't think so. God thinks the most critical thing for you to do is not to be disciplined and religious. It's to be absolutely surrendered to Him. The one who made you, and we see in this passage, is described as the one who fills our life. We get to verse 5 and we read about the Holy Spirit that has pour, been poured into our hearts and has been given to us. Christ offers us a constant hope. There's a second aspect of it, and the offer is a particular hope. It's a certain kind of hope. It is a spirit-occupying presence in our lives and what happens as a result of that. As you've been going through this series, perhaps you've read the quote in one of the readings from Oswald Chambers, where he says this, God wants you to become something you have never been before. That's what He wants. For you to live in His presence, to stand in faith, and to discover that God wants to give you something that you have never been before. Someone asks a legitimate question. Okay, well, what does that mean? What does it look like for me to, for God to give me a future that doesn't look like my past or doesn't even look like my present? What can I, what can I expect, God, if you're promising to fill my life with, with hope, my future with hope? What actually does that look like? And there are all sorts of characterizations that people can have of that, or, or hopes or expectations. I hope God helps me to live just like Captain America, you know, or whatever it might be. What does it really mean? Well, it says here in the text that it means that the Holy Spirit will reside in our lives, will be poured into us, and that means the Holy Spirit will be poured out of us. What does it look like? I'm going to give you an example of, of my brother. Uh, some of you know the story of my brother who was shot some 23 years ago and uh, went to heaven on um, April 14th, actually. Uh, we had a funeral for him on the 19th of April, which is 23 years to the date that Mike was shot while he was um, um, trying to serve the community that he was a part of. And I, I remember those early days after Mike was shot, I and mean, they were just filled with a sense of hopelessness, really, and despair. His doctor shared one bit of news after another in regards to what his life would be like. There was one doctor there, 
And we, we, we just, he, he was just filled with despair. We called him Dr. Doom, actually, because none of what he said gave us any hope along the way. And there were people that cared about Mike and for Mike, and we got countless letters from people, some that had, had prayer cloths in this, put this under Mike's pillow and, and things will change. And people would come into the, into the hospitals in Minneapolis, and it was a story, um, no surprise, in the news. And people would come in and say, I, I just want to come in and I, I just want to pray for Mike, and I believe that God wants him to be healed. And the question for them and for all of us was this, how will God give glory out of a circumstance like this? What will it look like for God to be honored and for God to be praised? And you know, the reality was this, is that nothing ever changed in his body physically. No one saw him walk. He never moved his limbs. We didn't see what we hoped would be true. And yet as we reflect on his life of 23 years living in a chair, we realize now that we saw so much more. We saw so much more. We heard the stories of nurses that had been his caregivers in the past number of years. When in particular, when you guys prayed that Mike would have a nursing assistant 24 hours around the clock, it was the only way that he could go back and live in his home together. And one of those people that came along said, asked, asked my sister, how often does Mike yell at the people that take care of him? And you know, in 23 years, Mike never raised his voice. She actually shared with us at the funeral, you know, I expected that I would walk into this position and it wouldn't be long before Mike and his whole family would let their guard down and I would see what's genuinely true of circumstances like this. I would just see the bitterness or the anger. I would see the backbiting, backstabbing uh, with people in the family and with Mike. And she said, you know what? In the years I was with Mike, I never saw any of that. Instead, as we had gathered together to celebrate his life, hundreds and hundreds of people were there, from law enforcement and people in the community, and who Mike had invested his life through their program, and in so many other ways. And the thing that just astounded me was what we saw. I always wanted to see Mike's arms always wanted to get up and walk. What we saw instead was this extraordinary display of the realities of a person in a wheelchair who couldn't move anything, being characterized by love and by joy. You visit Mike and you walk away laughing and filled with light-hearted joy. Can you believe it? Love, joy, and there was a sense of peace and calm and a patience with the people that were around him, and, and kindness, and, and goodness, and there was gentleness with him. And in 23 years, there was a, a story of his faithfulness and self-control. You see what we saw? We saw the fruit of the Spirit. Well, I think in so many ways we say, you know what I wanted to see? I wanted him to get up and walk. But all of us saw it instead of something that could be explained away as a medical misdiagnosis. We saw something even more remarkable than that. We saw what God gives that is the basis for our hope. That through suffering, he produces perseverance. 
And through perseverance, he develops character. And through character, he brings hope. You know, Mike, I know, as a, as a young man, he just wanted to make a difference. He, he wanted to have an impact. And when he was uh, at 27, shot, he, he thought his life had become insignificant. Unproductive, really. Measured by less hours of mobility, less mobility, frankly, um, and, and, uh, and uh, less impact in his life. And yet, after the funeral was over at the local high school, the procession to the cemetery was some 15 miles long, with people scattered along the way who had stopped and gotten out of their car to honor this person. I said to my sister, I wish Mike could have been here. And my sister said, yeah, but not in his chair. Not in his chair. It wasn't the life that Mike imagined for himself, and it wasn't the life that we imagined for Mike as well. But we learned something, that when one decides to give their life to God, God takes it and uses it in ways that cause hope to be so real and true. And here in Romans 5, we read about the Holy Spirit who is poured out into a believer's heart. Elsewhere in the book of Corinthians, Paul talks about this treasure we have. We have this treasure in jars of clay, broken, frail, uh, vulnerable lives. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. You know, my, when we were in, in, having conversations with people, my sister said to me, uh, to someone, you know, Mike was our family treasure. Uh, and he really was a treasure. And I understand what Jody was trying to say, but I said to Jody, I said, no, Jody, the treasure was Christ. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and that from us. And do you know what that means? That means the treasure is transportable. It doesn't die with Mike. It lives in the life of any one of us who say to God, God, take my life and use it any way you want to use it. Any way you want to use it. Mike had a bigger life than he ever imagined. And what we learn here is this, that God will use surrendered lives in unexpected ways. You may say, I don't know if I want an outcome like that. You're living in the world. We're living in the world. Things like that are going to happen. The question is this. When they happen in my life, will I let him use my life in ways unexpected to me? This is what we read in Scripture. God is always doing this. He is always using surrendered lives in unexpected ways. But there's another reality here, and it is this. That God begins with what He does on the inside of us. I think so oftentimes when we think about the future, we think about what we will do, where we will be, what will we accomplish along the way. And God is always bringing it back to, you know what? It starts with what I'm going to do in your soul. That's where God begins. And that's what He wants us to pay attention to. The cultivation of our soul, not the productivity of our life. He wants to cultivate my soul and your soul. And the productivity that comes as a result of what He does inside is what matters to Him. And this is what He does. He takes even the suffering of life and He uses it to cultivate in your life and mine perseverance. 
And then as we embrace perseverance that comes from the suffering, guess what He does with that? He takes that perseverance and He creates in us character. And it is that character that we see that God brings into our life that brings hope to us and glory to God. And we are then able to say, my life matters. It matters for something that is big and significant in what I was made for in the first place. We see here that uh, God provides to us a hope that is constant, a hope that is particular. And then there's this third truth that is here. God offers us a pathway towards hope into our future. Hope that grows through the turmoil of life. One would say that if one encounters suffering, hope would be diminished. God doesn't say that. God's plan actually is that as you encounter suffering, hope increases. Imagine that. That God just turns the whole thing on its head. And all of those things that we try to avoid that we may be angry with God about are actually the very things that God intends to use to give you character that will be extraordinary. And yet, we want to ignore it, avoid it, run away whenever possible from it. Who would have thought that those very things are what God will use to create in us perseverance, character, and hope? That that's where it comes from. I want to leave you with a, with a phrase that I hope will help you along the way. And it is this. This is God's call, I think, to us from this text. It is to forget and press forward with faith. To forget and press forward with faith. What does it mean, this forgetting part? Well, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, Paul says this. There's one thing I do. I forget what is behind. And I focus on what is ahead. It's not that we ignore it. It's not that we pretend it didn't happen. It's that we don't let it constrain our future. All of that stuff that has happened in the past, God doesn't want it to constrain our future. Paul didn't want it to constrain his. You know what? I'm not going to let it bog me down. I'm not going to take it with me in a way that slows me down or stops me in my tracks. Forget it. Forget it. Don't go back to it and bring it up and use it as a reason why you can't move into a future that is filled with hope because there's character, perseverance, and endurance that has come along. Forget what is behind you. Stop living in the past. Stop, stop living with the past, past in a way that constrains your future. It happened. How will God use it? to speed your life up towards the goal that He has for it. For those of us that grow older, the amount of our life that is over is bigger than the amount of our life that is ahead of us. And you know what we tend to do? We tend to move into a world of reminiscing, don't we? I think reminiscing is legitimate. There's actually a lot of, you know, most times, joy in it. And we'll reminisce about our moms today. But I would just say to you, reminisce a bit, but don't let your mind settle there. Your life isn't in the reminiscence. Your life is ahead of you. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how many years you've had. You've got life ahead of you. The reason you're still alive today is to live in a future, in a future that will give you hope. 
So reminisce for a while, but then plan and anticipate what God wants to do in your life next. If you're not dead, there's a next. What is it? Forget and press forward. The other dimension of this is to learn from your mistakes, but don't quit because of them. Ah, oh, I've just made so many mistakes. I've just messed up. Or things have done terrible things to me. I'm done. It's over. Learn from your mistakes. Don't, don't quit because of them. I had a conversation with a friend of mine recently whose daughter was in just a really terrible place in her life. And I said to this friend, you've got to step in. I mean, she is worth more than that. She's made in the image of God. God loves her. Kids. Look at the mess she's in. I know she's made some choices that she regrets now and you regret her making, but, but look where she is now and step in and be a part of, of rescuing her from that. Tell her, tell, her, tell her that she matters. Encourage her to move forward. And my friend said to me, you know, I would, but I can't. Um, I can't say anything because I made the same mistakes myself. I, I, I was just like that. I can't say anything to her. Think about this. And this is what Satan can do in our lives. He can put us in a position where we don't think we can do anything about the future of our life or someone else's life because we're thinking about our failure in the past. We say, I can't say anything because I've blown it in the past. And yet on the other side of the coin, there are those people who say, I can't say anything because I can't relate. I can't say anything because I don't know anything about it. Isn't that interesting? That we convince ourselves that we can't say anything because we know plenty about it, and we can't say anything because we don't know anything about it. Do you see what happens? And instead, God calls us to, to press forward, to, to don't quit because of what's happened in the past, but what does God have for you to do next? What needs to happen now? What could happen now? What does it mean for the one in whom the Spirit of the living God lives to step into that conversation and say something that would bring glory to God and hope to others? Forget and press forward. Then there's another piece of this, and that is to forget and, and press forward. In fact, in, 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 Philippians, in Philippians chapter 3, the very next verse is this, I forget what's behind, I, 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 I move into the future, and I press on towards the goal. Suffering is not something that we should run from. We press into it because hope comes out on the other end of that. You know, I love the word press, actually. It's, it's a part of making fine wine. And I think that's what happens with suffering is that God creates fine wine out of it. The reason why wine is produced is because grapes are put under pressure. Grapes get walked on and they get rolled over. They get pressed. And what comes out the other end is fine wine. And that's what we see here. God says this is going to be true of your life. Those circumstances, that suffering... I have a plan for even it. I will take it and undergird you with the capacity to persevere. And as I help you to persevere, 
in the midst of those sufferings, I will build into your life character. And when you see what I do, because I'm with you in it, you and others will marvel in your capacity to live by hope. And that life of hope will bring glory to God. And then finally, forget and press forward with faith. And here, the term means to live with a zeal for Him. To live with, with zeal. That's, that's our, uh, our hope is to say, this is all about Him. And God, whatever you have in my life, whatever I've got, it's all for you. Remember the story when the rich man went to Jesus and he was so intrigued by, so attracted to who Jesus was. And it says here that the rich man went away sad because he had great wealth. That was the problem. He had it. He had great wealth. He didn't use the wealth. He didn't want to use the wealth to actually be something that he would give to God for his glory. And he went away hopeless in regards to what he had hoped for. He had it. Do you know the word that's used for money? It's called currency. Do you know what that means? It means it's intended to be exchanged. It's currency. You exchange it for something else. You don't acquire it and keep it and try to hold it close. You actually exchange it for something else. It's never about what you have. It's about how you use it. Things are tools, not possessions. Your time, that's a tool. Will you use it for the glory of God? Your talents and your skill sets and your career, will you use it for the glory of God? The stuff that you've got, is it a tool or is it a possession? Are you trying to keep it or are you treating it like currency that actually can be exchanged for something even more significant? For surrender to God and for hope that comes as a result of the surrender. God wants you to possess hope and use stuff. God wants you to possess hope and use stuff. Not possess stuff and lose hope. You possess it, you'll lose it. God wants you to possess hope because you're willing to offer your time to Him. That everyone would see around you a zeal for God as the one thing in your life. That they would see it in the allotment of your time, in the allotment of your relationships, in the allotment of your resources. They'd be able to see a zeal for God in the way you live. Do you know why God wants that for you? Because He wants you to live with hope. That's the path to hope. To be able to forget what is behind and to press forward living a life of faith. Now I want us to spend the last bit of time for you to reflect on what that might mean for you. Because it's not the same for everyone else in this room. There can be hope in your future. There can be hope in your future. How do you get there? I want to mention to you four possible future hope killers. And I want you to take some time to ask God, God, what is it that's keeping me from hope? I want to just mention four, and then we're going to take some time. Daniel's going to come, and he's going to just play some music and let, lead us into some song. But here's what I want you to, to maybe take out a pencil and paper, whatever it is, and, and consider this. What might be killing my hope? I'm suggesting that there are four possibilities. 
If you want to live a life of hope, it will be necessary to stop living life without Him. If you want to live a life of hope, it will be necessary to start living, stop living a life without God. It is the only way to live. It's the way God made you. And if you say, you know what, I'm going to live life on my own, you're not on a path that's going to lead you to hope. He made you to live life totally, solely, completely devoted to Him. And the invitation is simple. He says, I just want you to give me your life. I want you to relinquish who you are and give it to who I, who I am. And let me be the one who forgives your past and who provides for your future. This is what it means to come to faith in Christ. And it is the fundamental step towards hope in life. You were made for it. Everyone in the world was made for it. It is the only way to have the kind of hope that God intends for every living human being. The second thing is, it's necessary to stop living life about me. The accumulation of anything that makes me feel important, that makes me feel safe, that's about me. When I live a life about me, it kills the hope that God intended for me to have embedded in living life about Him and His glory. What does it mean to live life that's not about me and mine? The third is this. It will be necessary to stop living life with secrets. To live this life where everybody, not many people really even know what's going on on the outside, of, on the inside of me. I can do the productivity thing. I can do the image management. But inside of me there's a secret that nobody knows and I'm not willing to tell anyone about and you know, the suffering that is required to reveal the secret is sometimes so daunting that you might not want to go there. You see what God says happens though? You go through the suffering that's a part of the revelation of a secret and God will build into your life perseverance because you will need it. And you persevere with God's strength around you and the next thing that will happen is that there's character built inside of you. And then people will notice that character and you and they will have hope that you never imagined. But you can't live a life of hope if you harbor a life of secrets. And then fourthly, it is necessary to stop living life with regrets. To always be looking back. Always be saying, it's because of, I can't move forward. To stop living life with regrets. You know, there are two ways to live with no regrets. The first is this. To come under His protection and walk into a future guided by His direction. That's one way to live life without regrets. The other aspect of living a life without regrets is to come under His forgiveness and realize all of that stuff that I did or said or thought is forgiven, is covered over by the one who loved me and gave himself for me. The rest of that quote by Oswald Chambers is this, Beware of spending too much time looking back at what you once were when God wants you to become something you've never been. Beware of spending too much time looking back at once you, what you once were when God wants you to become something you have never been. What does it look like? Let's take some time this morning to ask that question. God, what is it that I need to leave right here in the room? 
my my independence from you, my regrets about my life, my stuff that I'm clinging to, or my secrets that I'm scared to death to trust you with. You know, Carrie Corey Temple, she was a in the concentration camp in Auschwitz, she actually lost her sister there. Some of you know the story. Her family was from Holland, and they were protecting primarily Jews from the Holocaust. And eventually got captured, and many of her family members died. And Corey Timbu's dad was considered this extraordinary man. And she said this, you know, people have come up to me, and they've asked me if my father was a man of great faith. And she said, this is my response. I don't know if my dad was a God, man of great faith. I just don't know. I know he was a man of faith in a great God. That's what That truth gives us the capacity to think about our future. Not because of our faith, but because of the strength of who our faith is in. Let's ask him to speak to us now.